hey there, Twitter. Today is a really fun day because Sarah Michelle Geller is here to chat with us about everything she has going on. So you stick right there and we will see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Stafford. She's Alex Berg, and you are watching AM to DM. Here's a tweet from Emma Weigland. Two hours and 45 minutes later, CNN still hasn't asked about climate change or campaign finance reform. CNN just now. In the spirit of Ellen DeGeneres, tell us about a friendship that you've had that would surprise us. Shrieks! <laughs> so watching this last night, you know, we got through almost three hours. It was exhausting. The stage was insane. And we're going to get more into that later in a bit with Paul McLeod. Um, but, you know, they're going to say, they say, this is our final question for the night. And they go there. And everyone was like, wait, girl, why are we going? Why? What are you doing? It's always like you think the final question is going to be this, like, big, mm-hmm. climactic moment. It's going to be some important direct mm-hmm. message. And this. And Ellen DeGeneres. And you know what? What they were trying to do there, you know, in theory, from my perspective, is they were trying to get the candidates to talk about how are they going to work across the aisle? Yeah. How will they deal with bipartisanship in a very polarizing time? Great, interesting topic, I guess, but like to use Ellen as the lens when we have so many other examples, when we talk about, you know, Mitch McConnell still the head of the, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, how will you deal across that aisle? Things yeah. like that are more important than Ellen DeGeneres being best friends with George W. Bush because they go to football games. It was like an, in- an interesting choice, an, un- an unexpected choice. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, it appears if CNN wanted people talking about this, then they definitely got people talking about this because uh, a lot of people were surprised and mm-hmm. took umbrage with this being the last question. And so here we are now. Yeah. It does seem like an opportunity to get people to drop some names mm-hmm. um, and make some news in that way. So. Exactly. I think Amy Klobuchar, you know, brought up John McCain and said she worked with him and was able to do things with him. But, you know, it just made me think about the fact that we live at a time that views are so extreme that I don't think it is productive for me to say, yo, I can be friends with the Klansman or yo, I can be friends with like this homophobe. No, we could say that these things are wrong categorically and these people need to change. This idea that there's a balance and hate and love is not okay and not productive because that idea got us to today. Yeah, or I actually think like this question requires a lot of nuance. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, you can be friends with someone of any view, and that is up to you. And But at the same time, like, what kind of views are we talking about? Are we talking about your, like, garden variety differences Mm -hmm. um, in political opinion? Um, Are we talking about uh, racism or homophobia or all of these things? Like, there seem to be, I think, gradations of this conversation, and they all get, like, lumped into one big thing. And, it, um, and it's yeah. exactly what Ellen was trying to say. It's like, well, we should just be kind to each other. And it's right. like, no, well, we should be kind to people that deserve kindness. But if someone's harming you, you know, we as queer people have to reject certain parts of our families because they are very harmful and do mean things to us and it's not healthy for us to be with them. Yeah. So you have to make those decisions. But to, you know, gaslight America to right, think that, like, right. You should be f- happy with everyone. It doesn't matter. Their views aren't harmful. It's just not. Yeah, not I mean, true. I will say one piece of this conversation that I think we were really hungry for with Ellen is that if you are a person who is in a certain position mm-hmm. in this world, like people really wanted her to say, actually, I've used my position yeah. to talk to George W. Bush about LGBTQ exactly. issues. So, um, like for someone like me, as like like a uh, you know a white uh, cis woman, I actually think that like sometimes the onus is on people like me mm-hmm. to have those conversations with people whose views do harm other people um, because like who's going to do that kind of work. So, exactly. Yeah. So let's take it to the timeline. Can you be friends with someone that has different views? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. 
Where do you feel, how do you feel about this? Hell no, I'm kidding. No, it, <laughs> it, it depends, it's nuanced, and we don't serve ourselves any justice by trying to clump this into a yes or no. This is a very gray area. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's a nuanced and complicated conversation, but I do just wanna say that, um, of course you can have friends that have different points of view as you are, um, it can mean a lot of different mm -hmm. things, but one quote that I've always found that really has guided me is the James Baldwin quote, which is, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. I always find that that is a really nice way to guide. T to guide some of these tea, things. So. That is full tea. Thank yeah. you for that quote. Bring us to Jimmy Baldwin. Well, we got, <laughs> we got to move on from that today, but remember that James Baldwin quote, y'all. Here's a treat from Vox. Last night's Democratic debate was long and absurdly crowded with 12 candidates on stage, a record for a televised presidential debate, but it was also arguably the most useful debate so far. Here's a tweet from Iron Carmone. Breaking debate commentary. When Steyer came on screen, my husband burst out laughing and said, who the fuck is this? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Joining us today to break it all down is Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. So, Paul, what were the breakout moments from last night for you? I think the main takeaway has to be the way that Elizabeth Warren both performed, but also the way she was treated by the other debate contestants. Uh, she clearly seems to have moved into front runner status here. She was far and away the focus of the most attacks. Uh, she had a ton of screen time. In comparison, Joe Biden didn't quite fall into the background, but certainly he seemed to be a little bit usurped by some of the other more you know, centrist, moderate candidates like Amy Klobuchar, uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg uh, significantly was uh, really on the attack, sort of stealing some of Biden's thunder. It's, we seem to be witnessing, I mean, if you were to almost turn the volume off and just watch by screen time, uh, I think you would see a shift away from Biden and towards Elizabeth Warren. Okay, so a shift away from Biden, um, but who else uh, was served well by last night? Did anybody uh, walk out of there uh, as a winner, and did anybody walk out there out of there as a loser? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think some of this is just so subjective, it depends on the, it's almost a Rorschach, right? So for Elizabeth Warren, she was really raked over the coals in a way she had not been previously, and I saw a lot of people saying that she was a, a loser of the debate. I'm not so sure about that. I mean, even just the fact of being taking punches, being seen as the front runner, is in itself a powerful thing. And I think that her supporters are going to be pretty happy to see her as the person with the target on her back. That means you're winning. Um, Pete Buttigieg, also uh, notably much more aggressive than we've seen him in past debates. Um, his supporters seem very happy about that, very thrilled with his performance. Uh, it's, it's risky. I mean, anytime you're going more aggressive, though, you're risking turning people off. As as Cory Booker, the, the let's all get along candidate, has frequently said, who continues to be sticking by his message of we all need to, to just get along here. All need to get along. Well, Senator Bernie Sanders made, uh, debuted on the stage last night for the first time since his heart attack, which was in the news a lot these past few weeks. How did he do last night? Very well, actually. I mean, anyone who expected uh, Bernie Sanders to appear uh, feeble or weak uh, was way off, uh, despite his recent uh, heart attack. Uh, he was vintage Bernie. I mean, he was, you know, it's, you have to almost, it's like wrestling a bull for the for moderators trying to get him to stop talking. Uh, he um, was forceful. He still had actually uh, moments of well-timed humor and some of his interjections. Uh, so it was certainly the performance that Bernie Sanders advocates were hoping would put minds at ease after these concerns have been raised about his health. Now, one of the uh, tense moments last night was when uh, Biden and Warren um, were sparring uh, mm. on stage. Um, can you talk us through uh, that moment? Just why do you think it's getting so much attention? 
Sure. Well, so this is where a big part of the resumes of Elizabeth Warren and uh, Joe Biden intersect. Elizabeth Warren famously uh, spearheaded the creation of and then led the Consumer Financial Protection Burden Bureau after the financial crisis and uh, has very much been touting her record in creating that as a, as a structural change that has helped the consumers uh, protect them from uh, scheming and fraud from big banks. And while doing this sort of stump that she has done before, Joe Biden kind of jumped in and said, actually, I mean, essentially said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm largely responsible for this because I was the one who went to the Senate and got people to vote for it. And of course, this is Joe Biden's whole thing, that, that he's the one who can get things done. He's the one who can reach across the aisle and actually convince Republicans to vote for Democratic priorities. Uh, and there was this like, pretty tense moment, actually, where he's saying, you've got to give me credit for getting those votes. And then it was thrown back to Elizabeth Warren, who pauses and then says, you know, I'd like to thank President Obama for his work in getting the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau set up and everyone who supported it. And then there was kind of a nice moment where Joe Biden said she did a hell of a job. and She said, thank you. <laughs> so, Paul, you know, you bring up reaching across the aisle. The last question of the debate last night was about whether or not you could be friends with someone or a friendship that surprised you. And they were right. Ellen DeGeneres and George W. Bush. There's been a ton of backlash from that question. Walk us through who is mad about it and why. Well, okay, so let me, let me explain this. So normally at the end of a debate, you have the broad closing statements. And often, you know, this is, this is done in, in stories, in news broadcasts, you have what's called a kicker, which is sometimes you just have something a little bit offbeat to end other, yeah, your broadcast, your story, whatever. And so what CNN tried to do here was essentially have a kicker. Instead of just giving very generic, um, you know, round, you know, wrap up your, your main talking points, we're going to throw at you uh, this question about you know, who you like on the other side. Uh, I certainly rolled my eyes. Uh, it, uh, it did feel a bit like, hey, just name a Republican you like or who likes you. Uh, it's not a particularly difficult question to ask. But I, I, I will say to people, like, keep in mind, if you're, if you're getting mad at, say, at them not asking a question about climate change, uh, that wasn't the part to get mad at, I don't think. There are other parts of the, the debate where they should have put it, fit in a climate change question. The ending was this, they were trying to do, I think, a, a twist on the normal kind of boring ending. I don't think it exactly worked. Now, this morning, Representative Alana Omar uh, endorsed Bernie Sanders, and both Rashida Tlaib and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are expected to mm -hmm. um, endorse him uh, this week. Um, do you have a sense of the impact that uh, that support will have on the race? Yeah, I'm actually, I was surprised by the reaction to this. There were a lot of people, uh, certainly people who were Warren supporters, who were uh, sort of shocked and angered by this. There were people saying that this was, they think this is significant, uh, going to significantly impact the race. I mean, first of all, I think we should have all seen this coming. I mean, uh, this, this section of the squad and Bernie have been not only quite ideologically aligned, but I mean, personally supported each other as well. So I, I, I don't think this is a shock whatsoever. The problem for Bernie right now is that Elizabeth Warren is broadening her base and he is not to the same extent. She is cutting into Joe Biden voters. She has become the second choice for a huge amount of, uh, of uh, primary voters uh, supplanting Bernie Sanders. So while this would help him shore up a, a certain section, certainly of, of this voting base, and of course, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashid Tlaib, these people are wildly popular and influential. Um, I'm not sure it gets at the exact demographic, the groups that he needs to win over to kind of catch up now because you know the story of the last couple months of this race has essentially been Elizabeth Warren rising from 
sort of, you know, the second tier also ran progressive candidate to arguably, arguably the front runner in the whole race. Mm. Well, Paul, thank you so much for walking us through an exciting night on that CNN stage. Yeah, great talking with you. See you next time. Here's a tweet from Juliana Maza. Rudy Giuliani is refusing to comply with House Dem subpoena as part of the impeachment inquiry. Giuliani is also parting ways with his personal attorney. Ryan Schreck tweeted that this from the letter Giuliani's now former attorney sent Congress. Please accept this response as formal notice that Mr. Giuliani will not participate because this appears to be an unconstitutional, baseless, and illegitimate impeachment inquiry. Here to walk us through all of this is BuzzFeed News senior reporter Miriam Elder. Good morning. Hi. So let's start with Giuliani's decision not to comply with the impeachment inquiry. Was this expected? It was. Uh, from the get-go, he's been really combative. The White House has been really combative. And um, nowhere in the past couple of weeks did he give any indication that he intended to comply with it at all. Hmm. And walk us back some. What did Giuliani do to prompt a subpoena in the first place? So Giuliani is at the center of this whistleblower complaint that prompted the uh, impeachment inquiry to begin with. Um, he is accused of running this sort of side scheme with the knowledge of the president of trying to um, pressure Ukraine into handing over information related to the 2016 election and also um, this conspiracy theory involving Joe Biden and his son, thus helping uh, Trump get information on his political rival. Now, Giuliani also parted ways uh, with his lawyer, and he said it was, quote, silly uh, to have a lawyer. I know constitutional scholar over <laughs> here, but this was a little surprising to me. Um, do you have any insight into what his thinking was about this? I mean, Giuliani is really acting on the fly right now. Like, he's, you know, texting and talking with millions of reporters saying God knows what. Like, he's had a lawyer for a while, but there's no indication that he's actually been taking advice from him. I mean, that said, he is at the center of this impeachment inquiry. There's also a criminal case unfolding here in New York with two of his associates. I think um, having a lawyer is probably a pretty good idea right now. And what happens if you defy a congressional subpoena? Well, first, they'll start with uh, trying to pressure him. And the House Democrats have already said that they'll take any failure to comply with a subpoena as evidence of obstruction. So that's sort of rhetorical pressure. And then there's various steps that they can take along the way, including uh, an option to issue a civil lawsuit to try to force him to comply. Here's a tweet from Josh Dawsey about uh, another story that broke hours later uh, from this one. Giuliani pushed Trump to extradite a Muslim cleric, a top priority of Erdogan. Trump repeatedly wanted to do it, but other advisors were appalled and blocked. Aides worried Giuliani was doing Turkey's bidding. Uh, remind us who this cleric is and what happened here. This cleric, he comes up like every couple of years. It was a big story from time to time during the Obama administration. Since like 1999, he's been living in the Poconos. Uh, he's a cleric that runs a host of schools and um, like social centers. And he's become like enemy number one for the Turkish president, um, Erdogan. And uh, particularly since 2016, when he accused him of plotting uh, a coup against him. He's just kind of like the go-to bad guy for Erdogan, who really, really wants the U.S., to give him up and extradite him to the to to, uh, to Turkey. Mm. So, Miriam, how will this request on Giuliani's part impact the impeachment inquiry itself? Right now, it looks like House Democrats are trying to keep it rather focused to what's happening with Ukraine. But of course, it feeds the idea that uh, that Giuliani, who is not a member of the administration, has been running this sort of side uh, foreign policy. And then the bigger question really is. You know, who was pushing Giuliani to do this? Was he getting paid for it? Was he acting as an unregistered lobbyist? 
it just kind of adds to the questions around um, what on earth uh, he's been doing over the past couple of years. Yeah, what, what on earth? That is the one. Miriam, it's always so good to get to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Giuliani is wild. I wish I could act up that much at my job. I mean, well, but you know what struck me about what Miriam was saying is what? that uh, it seemed, when he called having a lawyer silly, I was like, it seems like he's like flying by the seat of his pants. And as it turns out, I, I wish to have that much confidence. He appears today. to be. I wish. Well, <laughs> good luck to you, Giuliani. Coming up, I sit down with actor Sarah Michelle Geller. But up next, it's Fire Tweets. Welcome back. It's time for Fire Tweets, and let's just jump right on in today. Here's a tweet from Up Top Culture. Your order has been shipped. Me. <laughs> I'm waiting. Three weeks. Still waiting for that one package. I disagree with this, though, because whenever I wait like this, I always miss it. It, like, arrives right when I get done Worst. waiting. It's like, Worst. You have to go to some, like, fulfillment center. No, that's then you get the notification <laughs> they have to go to somewhere called Maspeth, which is both part of New York City but also not part of New York City, and then you go there, and then they can't find... I, clearly, I have some you're, like issues to work out around you're this. You're traumatized. <laughs> First tweeted, "What age will I grow out of not answering the door when I'm home and sneaking around the house to find out who's knocking?" And the answer <laughs> is, I don't know what age because I'm still really doing this. I love how ingrained that is into us as children to be fearful of the stranger or stranger danger. Um, but I now just open the door and I like live fearlessly, I guess. Oh, um, something I still do as a kid that I used to do as a kid that I do as an adult. That's less. I guess, violent or dangerous potentially, is my closet space. You know, when you do your laundry, most people are taught to hang things up and fold it. I just throw it all in there and wonder why things are uh, wrinkled. Yeah, yeah, I, I do that too. Well, let's take it to the timeline. What's something that you haven't grown out of doing? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. Being clean. Same. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Wrong in 1K. You tweeted. New coworker. What we do now? Me. Shit. I usually hide around this time. You're like, uh, this is usually my time when I go and procrastinate. My first. So I'm going to go do that. My, one of my first jobs was at a movie theater when I was 15. And that was the thing. People would be like, I'm going to go clean this theater and disappear for two hours because they were obviously watching a movie. And that was oh, the best. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. That is a really good one. There we go. Cupid Sucker, you tweeted, don't ask me, what are we? After we've been hanging out every day for the past four months, going on dates, meeting the family, we're friends. I hate this tweet. So much. Why do you hate it? Because <laughs> I'm the person that gets told that we are friends after we do all these things. Do you think you're like in implicitly like in a relationship? With oh, someone? for sure, fully. Oh. And I'm just like, we're not being oh. intimate because we're waiting. <laughs> I've definitely been the person on the other side of this, where I was just oh. like, we were casually dating, we're friends, and I'm like, oh, you thought? Wait, Alex, you thought we were? You thought we were together? So Excuse Alex me? would break my heart. I would. God. I would. This all makes sense. <laughs> Everything makes sense. All but, right, turn to the day. Yeah, let's do it. Go for Alan Eyes. I wish I could drop my body off at the gym and pick it up when it's ready. I would love this. Like laundry. Just leave it there. I don't have to men- mentally go through the pain and suffering. Just black out and wake up looking stunning. Yes! All please. bodies are stunning, but looking even extra stunning. Yes, exactly. Well, later on, I'm sitting down with the iconic host, Angie Martinez. Stick around for more am to dm Here's a tweet from Complex. Gina Rodriguez posted an Instagram story saying the N-word while singing along to Lauren Hill's verse on the Fugees, Ready or Not. Here's a tweet from Tony. I'm sorry if I offended anyone by singing along to the Fugees. This is an example of someone being deliberately obtuse. Gina Rodriguez knows she offended people, not for singing a song, but for saying the N-word. If the apology is going to be insincere, just keep it quiet. Asted Wesley tweeted, 
You're Gina Rodriguez. You were just accused of anti-Black racism earlier this year. You cry defending yourselves. Do you? Literally anything else. Or post a video saying the N-word. I just wonder how many times we have to remind Gina Rodriguez that being anti-Black is not cool, not cute, and will never fly. Not only that, yeah, I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you're not Black, do not say the N-word. Like, do not, what on earth? It's like the first commandment. Yes. Like, I swear, it's in the Bible. Yes. Somewhere. Yes. Yes. No, I, but okay. Please. Well, you know, I just, watching this video, though, like, you know, what I just want to tell everyone, she knows she's wrong, and she knows what she's doing here, and she knows, again, I'm going to say this word, and I don't really like this word this much, gaslighting us, by being like, oh, I'm so sorry, I was singing this song. First, you messed up the lyrics of the damn song, so one, it's not your favorite song, or you're just terrible at singing the song or memory or whatever, but I guess her memory is a little fuzzy because you just got in trouble earlier this year for a moment with Yara Shahidi where yeah. you told her, you pretty much minimized the fact that she was being celebrated for being a black woman that is inspiring mm -hmm. black girls all around the world by erasing that whole moment for her and saying, well, all women. She like, all lives matter to Yara Shahidi, which is incredible because that woman is changing the world by being herself. And that is nothing small or short of celebration. But then you do this and you post it on your Instagram and the end of it where she smiles, like she knows yeah, she did something wrong, yeah. trash, so, canceled. So, um, right, so it wasn't just that she said the word, it's that she's had several opportunities where mm -hmm. there could have been a learning curve over something like this and um, she could have uh, done some work uh, around mm -hmm. this particular issue, but it's then that she said a word with such a specific, painful, yes. historical legacy, and then was so <sighs> mocking mm -hmm. in that apology, um, which is almost as if to say, like, like she is in a position of power where she can mock people mm -hmm. who may feel uh, real pain and trauma over this word For sure. um, with that kind of apology. And then she took it, I don't know if you saw her Instagram apology, yes, she went far more in exactly. depth. And basically, um, again, one of the things I was struck by is she was like, I am now learning that this is something I should not do and I just don't understand. There is no excuse not to know. Oh not to say this word. She has been told countless times now, she is reminded every time, I can look on Twitter any day and someone is tweeting about Gina Rodriguez being anti-black. This is something she's constantly getting her com comments on her, her photos, on Twitter, everything. So if she was really doing the work to undo the shit she did before, this would have been a moment in which we'd have saw that undoing, her like not saying the word or not even posting the video, but instead she did it, she laughed, she gave the bad apology, yeah. kept moving on. And I think this is the moment, dear Twitter, where we just accept the fact that Gina Rodriguez is anti-black, I think, a little. Like, you know, if it walks like an anti-black person, talks like an anti-black person, you may be a little anti-black. If it keeps jumping out when you're feeling real comfortable and cute. Because right. when people feel comfortable and cute and what they say then, that really connects to their internal being. And girl, we're not having brunch anytime soon. Yeah, and look, Gina Rodriguez, not the only person no. to do God. something like this. And I actually think the big takeaway is that this is a teachable moment for folks to, like, see yes. and learn, like look at what uh, Gina Rodriguez mm -hmm. did, uh, you know, learn something about anti-black yeah. racism specifically yes. and go from there. Exactly, so. and I wanna like clarify what Alex just said in case you didn't hear. This is a teachable moment for other folks viewing this. For Ms. Gina Rodriguez, you've already been taught the lesson, you failed, you should drop out of school, move on, <laughs> get going, it's over, I'm sorry. This is no longer for you, but yeah. others learn. But I think for the rest of us. Well, up next, Alex sits down with legendary host, Angie Martinez. Diva 027 you tweeted, one word to describe untold stories of hip hop, authentic. Each interview will have you wanting to know more. Only Angie Martinez can open doors to let these stories flow. And Critics with Attitude, you tweeted, 
Hip Hop Untold might be the best shit on television. Thanks, Angie Martinez. Well, Angie Martinez (laughs) joins me now to talk about her show, Untold Stories of Hip Hop. Welcome. That's so nice. Thank you, guys. Yes. Well, people are clearly loving the show, and you sit down with some major, major names. Cardi B, ASAP Rocky, Queen Latifah. Um, What made you want to dig deeper into some of these stories with them? It, it, I just thought it was like a fun way to kind of like, you know, I've been around for a long yeah. time, so I know all these stories. And sometimes we hear stories and it's always like the headline and the piece of it. And we don't really get mm. the full, like real mm. story about it. And everybody loves just a good, I feel like everybody's in that zone of like, you want to know a good classic story. And I've been around so long and know so many people, I thought this would be a fun thing to do. It's just kind of, instead of a full interview, like, tell me about your album, yeah. tell me about your process, tell me whatever. It's really about, what happened on this day? Tell me the story about this amazing song you did. It's it's very specific, very to the point, and it's just fun and interesting, I think, to, even for me, because there's mm-hmm. people I've known for a long time and then I'm sitting across from them and find out something that, I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been fun. Mm-hmm. It's been really fun. Well, Righteous Roar tweeted, bro, Angie Martinez, the only one to get artists out of their element. Um, when you're thinking about these stories, how do you get the artists comfortable enough to open up to you? I think it's a couple of things. It's like you... It, I think people have to know you're not there to hurt. I'm not there to hurt anybody. Yeah. It's just kind of like, I, I want to help them tell their stories. And mm. I think because I've been around for a long time and people trust me, mm. I think that helps. Um, and trying not to be gross about it, which a lot of people, unfortunately, <laughs> in our in our space can be gross about things yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it's really, you know, it's a, it's, it's a um, harmless fun kind of like insightful conversation yeah so I think that that puts people at ease you know I'm not there to trick you to get you to say something Mm -hmm. so that I could get a click and Mm -hmm. you know it's really just like tell me that story Mm because I I really want to know and that really I think puts them in a different space immediately Mm -hmm. um now you mentioned that you like these stories are coming off of a piece of a headline or a bit of a headline do you kind of know the stories that you're trying to get sometimes sometimes I do like in the first episode we had Snoop and Snoop and I had had some history and I knew I wanted to talk to him about that. I knew that I, I felt bad about how his relationship with Pac ended, and it was because of my interview. And I knew that I was going to mm. do that. I didn't expect how how open and honest he would be back. But then, you know, I, I, I sit across from Fat Joe, who who our families are very close. I, I you know him very well, mm. and I had no idea how depressed he was mm. when he lost Pun and that he lost his. Uh, grandfather and sister within the same week of losing Pond. And, and he told me about that dark place that I never knew that about him. Mm. So I think, you know, I think people surprise you all the time. And I always try to, even as an interviewer, I'm sure you do the same thing. You like, you try to stay present mm-hmm. and, and open to like what's happening in the moment because that sometimes you don't know it's coming, but then all of a sudden something right, comes right. and you're like, what? And you're like, I guess we're throwing away the plan for this yeah, and like going in a different happening? direction. Exactly. Yeah, well, I do want to talk more about that, uh, the Snoop Dogg interview um, because you, you talk about how your interview then impacted the story. Um, are there other moments or interviews you've done that have then kind of impacted the story or that artist relationship, or anything like that. Wait, you're asking me if I. I'm sorry. Tell me. <laughs> Have there been other moments, you know, uh, in addition to the Snoop Dogg one with Tupac, yeah. where something that you asked someone in an interview that affected, like, yeah, the yeah, of how they, exactly. I'm sure nothing as traumatic and tragic as that. And also, you know, you learn from the things. I think I was always a little careful after that because yeah. even though my intention was good, it could happen at any any moment to anybody. Um, Nothing as as severe as that, I don't think. Mm. Now, you interviewed Tupac in 1996 for two hours, um, and only 12 minutes of that interview. I know, have been and released. there's people there just so furious. Yes, at me. I'm yes. Sorry. <laughs> Is there any? I literally, I could post something about like 
you know, a, my son or my goddaughter, and they'd be like, that's nice, but where's the pop tapes? It's, you know, it was really he, very serious. I was in Ikea and somebody ran up on me and asked me about the really? tapes. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I am going to put them out. I, okay. I, I am going to put them out. I am trying to figure out within the next... I would say I don't want to put, I don't want to do this to myself, but I'm, my goal is within the next year to do a project where I, where they can come out and people can experience them um, soon. So I do realize it is part of history. It is going to be uncomfortable for me because there are things in those sure. tapes that are very uncomfortable to listen to. Um, but I do, I am aware that it is part of history. And so at some point I will. Now, I know you said all the tapes are in a very safe, secretive place. Now, now they are. Are there, are there any other uh, interviews on those all tapes? My interviews. Like, like, like are there the any 90s? other that you haven't released that you also, that you're thinking about? Not that I haven't released, but you have to remember that at that time in radio, people weren't taping. There was mm. no really social media. So these iconic moments would happen in the middle of the night, Jay-Z at the radio station after jumping off the stage with R. Kelly and them getting into that big beef. That happened live on my show and it doesn't live, it didn't really live anywhere. People didn't really get the full story of it. I have the full interviews on tapes. That's just one moment. I mean, there's tons of moments that happen on the air that are not really well documented. So I have all those cassettes and now I have just kind of digitized them all and trying to figure out what to do with them. Mm. But they are safe. They're they safe. were in my laundry room for a really long time <laughs> and that was not a good idea. And now I've digitized them and they're and they're good and safe. Um, one of the interviews that I really appreciated was your conversation with Cardi B about her Me Too uh, moment. moment. Yeah. And, and then people gave her like crap for that after, which is so crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, you've been at the forefront of hip hop for a long time. Um, how have you seen just conversations around women in hip hop evolve? I think women have taken charge of their, you know, their image, uh, their imaging and how they want to be. I just think, I just think we're stronger and we're more aware and we're kind of like taking charge of our, ourselves. And she even said that. I was like, Has any, would anything like that happen to you now? She goes, no, because I would get on my Instagram and I would, <laughs> you know, like she just was very, uh, not that to say that it, something couldn't happen to anybody, but I just feel like she's really taken control of her situation and. You know. Yeah. Do you think that women rappers have been getting the more of the respect that they deserve? Maybe more, but I think more is to come. I think yeah. for every you know fifteen rap men rappers, we have we only have one yeah. representative for us. So I think we, there can be more. There are some great women out there, and and I do think we're in a better space than we were five years ago, or you know what I mean, when it was like. Two. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There are a ton now, which is great. Are there any? Because it's really about representation. Mm -hmm. It's not about you have to be a certain way. You have to be, you know, uh, positive. Or you could do, there's so many different variations of women. And I think as long as, the more that we have, the more chance we have for kind of everyone to be represented. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always important to have a lot of Are there any that you're voices. really excited about in particular? You know, we're doing Powerhouse. We're getting ready to do Powerhouse and Meg Thee Stallion's performing. And I've mm -hmm. only seen her on, I've seen her perform online. Because that's like my favorite place to watch concerts. Because <laughs> you can be home. Really? Yeah. I mean, oh, that's I love, true. Yeah. Oh, I love a stream concert. I'll be home with my popcorn and I love a stream concert. <laughs> so I've only seen Megan in, in a stream concert. So I'm really looking forward to seeing her at yeah. the show. And then Young and May is doing our. Uh, our pre-show, and I'm obsessed with the Young M.A. Mm. Well, I, I do want to ask you about one controversy that's in the news um, right now. Um, Gina Rodriguez has faced a uh, backlash over a video that she uploaded of, of herself um, singing along. I just saw that song. literally while I was sitting in the thing mm, in, in mm -hmm. there right now. What do you make more broadly? Uh, you know, this is something <clears throat> that uh, J.Lo faced a lot of criticism over in the early 2000s. Um, this conversation about non-black artists who use the N-word. Um, just what do you make of the backlash and the conversation? I can't speak for everybody because I know there are some certain people that you know, you grow up a certain way. It's very common. Mm -hmm. um, 
I can't speak for her or why she thought it was okay or why she thought it was mm-hmm. okay to post it. I do believe she apologized, right? She did apologize, yeah. Um, so I don't really... Mm-hmm. She, you know, I'm glad she did. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I think it's a sensitive... It's funny because back in the day when I was young, I grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, Puerto Ricans and blacks, we grew up together. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't uncommon to hear, you know, and, and it wasn't used in, a, in the way that people perceive it to be. But as I got in the business for a long time and I started realizing, like, outside of our block... People hear you. Mm. So it's, you're not just talking to the people on the block. Mm-hmm. You're talking to people's moms, people's grandmothers, people's aunts who have a very different mm-hmm. feeling towards the word. So once I learned that, I realized mm. it's just I, for my personal choice, mm. I choose not to use that. You know, mm-hmm. but, but I understand why somebody like a Fat Joe comes from that. It's part of, who, it's part of the culture of what mm-hmm. we grew, grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, I understand mm-hmm. that. But I also understand why someone would be offended by seeing Gina say that mm-hmm. and why she felt the need to apologize. Well, um, back to your show. Before yeah. we go, um, I do want to ask, who haven't you interviewed yet that you're really excited to talk to? Um, man, there's so many people. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, after the first season, um, people, now everybody's calling me. Like, everybody's like, really? yo, I gotta tell you this story because everybody has a story. Everybody has stories. So now yeah. that the show has been out and people have kind of got to see what we're doing, there's definitely been a lot of really cool artists that have reached out. So I think season two will even be more fun than season you'll, you'll get some more, especially now if people are down to just call you and like give you a sample of a story. Because now they know how to show up. When you're doing season one of a show, people don't really know what it mm-hmm. is. What are we doing? Stories about what? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Now that we've done it and we put it out there, I think... Uh, you know, I think, I think season two is going to be amazing. Wonderful. Well, congratulations again Thank on you so the series. Much. And it's so you. great to get to sit down and talk to you. Nice to meet Thanks you. Thanks for joining too. me. Bye. And you can watch Untold Stories of Hip Hop on Thursday nights on WeTV. Up next, we're talking to Parker and Jessica Curry. A photo of then two-year-old Parker Curry's amazing reaction to Michelle Obama's portrait in the National Portrait Gallery went viral last year. Now, Parker and her mom, Jessica, have collaborated on a children's book, Parker Looks Up, and join us now to talk about it. Hi. Hi. Parker, congratulations. Thank you. Oh, it's so nice <laughs> to have you today. You look great, Parker. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Of course, of course. So, Jessica, why did you and Parker want to adapt her story into a book? Um... We wanted to share the story with um, children and people all over the world because we really felt like that moment, that little moment that she had there in front of Michelle Obama's portrait was just really special and magical. And um, we wanted other children to be able to experience that day with us. Yes, of course. It is such a special day. And uh, Parker, how old are you now? I believe you were three when that picture was taken. Oh, you are she four. Was two. Two. Yes. She's four now. She's two when it happened. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Parker, I have some questions for you because you got this book. So what is your favorite thing about the book? What's your favorite thing about the book? Uh, The pictures. The pictures. They're really good pictures. Do you have a favorite picture, Parker? Um, My favorite picture is the back of me. The, the back with a picture of her. <laughs> On the back of the book, there's a, the picture of her in uh, Mich- the same gown as Michelle Obama from 
yes, posing like this yes. from Halloween last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a good picture. Such a good picture. Well, Jessica, as a parent, where do you look for positive representations of Black women for your daughters to look up to? Um, everywhere. We look in the media, which we're representing the media now more than ever before. Uh, we look to art, obviously, for uh, representations of other women of color who are doing great things. Obviously, Michelle Obama is still um, someone who I look up to and someone who Parker looks up to, too. Now, Parker, I have another question for you. Um, after visiting the museum with your mom, you actually had the chance to meet Michelle Obama. <laughs> yes. You remember when you met Michelle Obama? Yeah, I met her. Was it? She said she met her two times. Two times. Okay. Did you get a chance to tell her that she's a queen? Did you tell Michelle Obama that she was a queen? Yes. Did you? Oh, maybe they had a private conversation. I hear there were some dance moves. Okay. Were you guys dancing? Mm-hmm. What did you guys dance to? Shake it up. Shake it up. Is she a good dancer? Yeah, I'm a dancer. No, she said it's Michelle Obama a good dancer. Uh, yes. Yeah. She's a great dancer. She is a great dancer. Great dancer. <laughs> a great dancer. I knew Michelle would be good. Well, Parker, last year you dressed as Michelle Obama for Halloween, and it's even your author photo on the back of your book. Yep, 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 yep. You look great. But this year, what are you dressing up as for Halloween? He said, what, what are you thinking about being for Halloween this year? Uh, Sophie, Sophie, Sophie. Right now she's saying Sophia, but, you know, she's four. It's been changing. First it was cheerleader. <laughs> uh, then it was Merida from Brave. Now it's Sophia the first. So we'll see what she wants to be as we get closer to Halloween. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we will definitely be looking out for the photos. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. What do you say, Mark? Oh. Well, bye. Okay. And what about your book? Please bye. buy our book. Bye. Bye, I hope you come to my house and I, I hope you get some pictures. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, Parker Looks Up is available now. Up next, you'll see Zach's conversation with Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> now is actress Sarah Michelle Gellar, who is making her return to primetime television in a new show on Fox called Other People's Houses. Good morning. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to have you on this bright early morning. It so, is early. And you look so bright and happy to be here. Thank you. It's like <laughs> three in the morning for me. I think my alarm rang. I'm like, I didn't know whether I was coming or going. But. So yeah, I can understand that the LA to New York jaunt is quite tough for everyone. <laughs> um, so Other People's Houses is based on a book by Abby Waxman. How did you get the idea to adapt the novel for television? I love to read. Reading is my escape from everything. It's the one time where I really find that I can shut down and really connect. And I just decided, like last year, I said, you know, I think my kids are grown. It's mm-hmm. Or not grown. My kids are old enough to go back to work. And it just seemed like the right time. So I started looking for material that really interested me and spoke to me. And because a lot of the source material that I find 
comes from books. So yeah. I read both other people's houses and sometimes I lie. And I said, they're so different too. They're both, you know, just complete mm-hmm. opposite stories and mm-hmm. worlds. And I said, those are the, those are the two that I want to do mm. to come back. And what about Ann Porter's character did you find so exciting? And what can you share about her, the secrets in her house? I can't share very much yet because <laughs> we're still, we're still finalizing everything, but it's quite different from the book where sometimes I lie, we're much closer to the original story with other okay. people's houses. We're sort of using it as jumping off point. Just the <laughs> idea that in this day and age, we think we know people based on social media and their feeds and what comes up. But really all we're seeing is this slice of this curated life that you want you to see and mm-hmm. what really happens behind closed doors before that one perfect picture. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you mentioned that you returned to TV because your kids are a little older, but were there any other factors that told you, you know what, I'm going to go back into television and create this project specifically? It was a combination. I, I had to take some time when my kids were young because that's the only time you oh. really get to be there and that was important. And I've had such an incredible career so mm-hmm. far that for me, everything is gravy. It's mm-hmm. always like the icing on the cake and it can be something that speaks to me that sounds like fun, a world I haven't been part of, mm-hmm. a story I ha- that hasn't been told yet. So I think it was those factors all sort mm-hmm. of coming together. Okay. Well, you know, the show uses social media as a lens to look into people's homes. And, I, and, you know, it made me start to think about our neighbors. You know, we don't meet our neighbors every time, but we can look into their homes through their social media. <laughs> it's really kind of odd when yeah. you think about it. You know, nobody's a stranger anymore. Mm-hmm. And people put this life out there, but mm-hmm. nine out of ten times, it has nothing to do with their actual life. For sure. It's literally these curated, perfect images. Exactly. But how do you think that's changing us as a culture, the fact that we're participating in that? Well, I think that it's... It's changing how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. We used to look for validation from friends and family. Now we look for validation from strangers. From We're putting it out there. I mean, they've done studies that show the amount of likes literally releases serotonins in your body that Same. gives you a euphoric feeling. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really frightening. We need to look in ourselves and we need to look to the people that know us best for mm-hmm. that, not complete strangers. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you recently told Oprah Magazine that you really love Instagram because you're allowed to have a lot of agency in dictating your story through social media, um, which I think is a little hard on Twitter at times. I think it's a little reactionary. What types of stories are you hoping to show through your Instagram as someone that seems very conscious of the ways in which it can tell a good story, but also tell stories that aren't true? It took me a while to come around to social media. I was, I'm was i a very private person. I've managed to get by being like that. And so mm-hmm. I think at first I was hesitant. But then it's exactly what you mm-hmm. said. I realized, wait, I'm responsible for telling my own story. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you, you meet a journalist and mm-hmm. to no fault of their own, they have a story to tell. They have an agenda. Yeah. Their editor is looking for something. So it can come in slanted. They can take yes. bits and pieces. And with Instagram, Facebook, or even Twitter, if mm-hmm. you know, it's just for me, Twitter was a lot of work. And until I really have the time when I can be on there and speak, I feel like you leave a lot of people out. Where in Instagram, mm-hmm. you can sort of tell a larger, more holistic story. Mm. But I'm responsible for it. If I read yeah. something about myself that's untrue, I can just say something for the first time. And for the first time, I have the right to tell my own story. And Mm. I think that's always been very odd that my personal story and my journey has always been dictated by others. Yeah, and that has to feel incredibly empowering as a woman in, in Hollywood, where I feel like women in Hollywood have had their stories really taken apart, and it sounds as if you found reclamation. Yeah, especially because everybody wants to have this, you know, either rags to riches or just, like, everybody sort of wants to have a hand in that story. Mm-hmm. But also because I like privacy, mm-hmm. it gives me the bit to show, because the true fans really just want to see a little bit of slice of your life. They yeah. don't need to know all the details. They just want to know a little more that's real. So then yeah. again, it also gives me, without my children feeling, you know, bombarded by a paparazzi that mm-hmm. jumps out, like I can tell bits and pieces of our lives and still keep that control. Mm, I love that. I think I'm a little jealous of your kids because you and your husband, Freddie Prince Jr., are both cooks and you have cookbooks out, but who is the better better cook at home? Oh, Freddie. I mean, that's, that's not even, I know. That's, <laughs> it, 
that's he went to culinary school. What's really? Funny is, so I grew up in New York City, so mm-hmm. I made reservations. <laughs> I knew how to order. I knew how to order takeout before the lunch special ended, so that you could still get the lunch special deal, but eat it for dinner. Like that's what I knew, and I had no interest in being in the kitchen in New York City. I mean, the, my kitchen was like this big; I could touch both walls. Yep. It was like you know, it was for sweaters and shoes, like okay. extra closet space. So realizing that, <laughs> sorry, just realizing I do the same thing. Everybody, well, your space is so limited in New York City. Like yeah. you have to use that space. Like I used my stovetop. Yeah, I just didn't use the actual oven underneath it. Yep. <clears throat> so, but realizing, especially once you have kids, too, mm-hmm. that it's such a. It's the one time the phones go down and mm-hmm. you really connect. And it's always over food, right? Yeah. You're dating someone, you go out to dinner, you meet the family, you have it. Like, mm-hmm. Everything happens around food. And so I realized, like, oh, I better get my butt in there and yeah. learn. So, no, he is by far the better chef. Okay, so Freddie for dinner, you for going out to dinner. Yes, I make a great reservation. Wonderful. But no, but, I, but I've learned. And, you know, my meals may not be as complex as his. I mm-hmm. may rely a little more on recipes than he does. Mm-hmm. But, but I've learned to really love it. Mm. And also, I now live in a house where I, when I touch, I don't touch both walls. Yes, which you have space. Yeah. It just space. Although so you, not in this dress. In this dress, I would still only touch them. <laughs> I can see you fry some chicken in the dress. That'd be great. I can do that. I think, I want to Although I don't this. fry a lot of chicken. I do fry Brussels sprouts, though. <gasps> Girl, I need I to get that recipe. Yeah. Well, you recently partnered with Lysol for the Here for Healthy Schools. Why was that so important for you to do? I love what Lysol is doing with Here for Healthy Schools. People don't realize that there are over 60 million absences from kids during cold and flu season. Really? And when you think about that, when you go down the list of all of that, so they're missing key moments in education. Mm -hmm. You miss too many key moments in education, you fall behind. You get nervous coming back. It's hard to catch up. Schools get funding based on attendance. Mm. You have all of these kids missing. Schools are going to lose programs Mm -hmm. because of that. And for some kids, like their healthy meal comes from being in school. Mm. So as a parent, as a person of the community in mm-hmm. school, like what are those things that you can do to help? And I love that Lysol, who not only has this great product, is saying, hey, let's partner and let's figure out how to be a better community to help that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's donating these smart thermometers that I wish I had when my kids were little <laughs> that aggregate all of the temperatures and sicknesses that are going around and gives you like mm-hmm. up-to-date information about medicines that can help and symptoms and like what to do at home for That's remedies. Amazing. Right? Like I didn't have that. I mean, wow. you know, I was like, when I was a kid, you put it under your tongue and you left it for like 900 years and hope the mercury didn't poison you. Um, <laughs> Or (laughs) making videos, partnering with people like Nickelodeon and Mm -hmm. showing videos that can help make clean habits part of your lifestyle. When you realize as a community that we're all responsible, a lot of these diseases that are going around, or I shouldn't say say sicknesses, are preventable. Mm -hmm. And so what are the things we can do as a community? So Here for Healthy Schools is all about partnering, giving back, delivering product, and delivering ways to avoid, I mean, I don't want to get the cold and flu. No, I'm sure, because if your kids get it, then they bring them home to you. And then you can't get rid of it, and then you give it to your neighbors, and you give it to, and it just, it keeps (laughs) circulating in this time of year. It sure does, it sure does. So you and your husband have shared the screen in many iconic films, such as I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scooby-Doo. Have your kids watched these films yet, and what's it like for them to see you two on screen? It's actually really funny. No, our kids haven't. But the (laughs) other day, we were flipping channels, and I Know What You Did Last Summer came on. And uh, my daughter, like, looked for a couple seconds, and she was like, Mom, is that you? Is that dad? Is that Deacon's dad? And like, she should, and then I was like, oh, you should watch the first five minutes. It's all you uh-huh. can see. She's like, no, nah, Harry Potter's on. <gasps> she did like, not want to see mom and dad. Like, she watched wow. for like literally seven seconds. We told her, we said, you can only watch the first, it's like literally the first five minutes. So uh-huh. she's like, nothing happens in the first five minutes, yeah. whatever. Yeah, she had no interest. Well, a show that I don't know if they've seen yet is uh, you're from it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, really iconic series. And I know that you are not uh, wanting to be part of any reboot if it happens, but is there anything that they could present to you that would make you more interested in something like that? 
You know, I don't think it's about me being part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm all for them rebooting it. I think it's an important story. I think there's a way to modernize it and tell a different story yeah. now. I think that the way we ended lends itself to mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, I'm so proud of the show yeah. that we made. And what I think is even more impressive is that it's still relevant today. Yeah. That people find it and watch it for the first time. And it means exactly the same, if not more mm-hmm. now, that there's more lessons to take. There's more empowerment to take from mm-hmm. it. So does it really need? to be done again. Mm. I think for me, what worked at the time was it was the story of the horrors of adolescence manifested as actual horrors, as actual demons. I don't know if you know this, but I'm not an adolescent. (laughs) You're like, I can't play a high schooler. That's a real thing. I mean, I did get carded the other day buying cold medicine, which was Mm -hmm. kind of amazing and the highlight of my day. Mm -hmm. And then she looked at my license. She's just like, oh, you're old. (gasps) And I was like, it went from this like great euphoric high to kind of depressed. But at the same time, like she thought I looked, I, yeah, it was a, it was a myriad of emotions. Wow, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being thank here today. Thank you for having it's me. It's been lovely getting to chat. Well, uh, make sure you check out other people's houses on Fox. More Aim to DM is up next. Welcome back. Such a fun show. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. I, icon. Yes, yes. Sitting next to her. I just had so many moments of Buffy, cruel intention. I know, I know. Everything. She was just so important, I think, for our generation. She was, like, the biggest thing as we were growing up in in film and television. Like, she was doing the biggest stuff. And to sit with her and hear her have perspective on that, talk about her family, talk about Freddie Prince Jr., Mm -hmm. it used to be such a heartthrob. And to think he sits at home, like, cooking for his family. I mean. Adorable. Celebrities, they're just like. They are, they are. (laughs) Yeah, it was, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like, people— stand that show so, so much. much. It still means so much to people and a lot of the themes are still so relevant. Yeah, so, something I wanted to talk about. to her about and we like kikied afterwards was that that show has been so important to the LGBTQ community. Yeah, it it's has. It's seen as an allegory for being in the closet and having a superpower that you can't share. So, you know, so, much, so many people in our community just love her to death. Mm-hmm. She is a legend to us. So much so that David Mack who is one of the heads of our breaking news desk, tweeted some photos of him walking behind her. So you These are very entertaining. (laughs) They're very funny. Ronan Fair is involved, so check them out. Yes. (laughs) Well, following our conversation about the Democratic debate, Christian, you tweeted, literally two more Halloweens until the next presidential election. That just made my brain explode. Wow. What is is the thing that people say, like, (laughs) eject me from planet Earth? Like, please, please. Just, you know. We have two Halloweens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, End it now. I'm done. I know. I'm I know. Over. I can't. I can't believe that. Oh, it feels you, like Christian. forever because it that is. was brilliant. Yeah, I'm very shaken by that. Uh, let's. Move I know. On. I know. Let's just move on. So we asked, "What's something you haven't grown out of doing?" And Smelly Moss Grave, you tweeted, "Eating frosting off of cake." That is. This is also a good one. Or just eating. Or just eating the frosting like out of the <laughs> frosting container. So. My brother used to take cans of frosting to school and put it in his locker and eat it. That's yeah. like next level. Isn't that also, I, are you supposed to keep that stuff not refrigerated? No, they sell I don't it know. in the store. I guess maybe oh, we yeah. could break the it's seal. It's just filled with preservatives. Yeah, so, you know, it's all fake. It's fine. You're, it's fine. you're dying. It's all good. Well, after your conversation with Sarah Michelle Geller, Stasia, you tweeted this gif Buffy waves newspaper. <laughs> yes, so there good. we go. Yes, and to also have her and Ronan running into each other when we did this conversation, they're friends, uh, and they're both superheroes for different communities. You yeah, know? yeah. Buffy slaying vampires, Ronan slaying political careers. There we go. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, thank you to our guests today, Paul McLeod, Miriam Elder, Parker and Jessica Curry, Angie Martinez, and Sarah Michelle Geller. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. with more AM to DM. Have a great day. Bye, y'all.